0: kinky cast a sexually explicit podcast if you are under 18 years of age stop the podcast now you are listening to a weekly publication produced every friday morning the kinky cast is heard in over 150 countries this week's episode is number 220 in our weekly exploration in the kinky world of bdsm and alternative relationships Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Tanya Joan Miller on Phone Sex. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast.
1: Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody. Hey, man, what do you know?
2: I'm enjoying the spring stuff really, really well. Spring stuff, that means hot, cold, hot, cold. Cold, hot, cold. And all the pollen you can eat. It's Tennessee. We have all the seasons in one. Uh, Then we'll jump straight into summer probably next week or week after. There you go. And never look back. Yeah. we got an interesting guest with us. Woody. Yeah, who's that? She describes herself as an actress, playwright, and professional Oreo courtesan. Wow. Uh, Hi, Tanya. (laughs) Hello. We have Tanya Joan Miller. Yep, that's me. What is your professional? Is that a sex phone operator?
3: Yes, I'm a phone sex operator. I have been for um, uh, over 14 years now. Uh, In addition to that, I'm also a playwright and a performer.
1: So do you have a specialty in your sex
3: calls? (laughs) Not a a specific fetish in general. I would say that my specialty is being somebody who's willing to be a little more um, engaged and present and authentic and intimate with random strangers on the telephone and not just, you know, someone bored. Barely paying attention. So, what brought you to all of this? So, it's actually kind of a, a lovely, um, circuitous story. I, um, now I was raised by a single mom who was also a lay midwife. So, sex and sexuality was talked about in my household. It was considered natural and normal. And I think in my early 20s and mid 20s, I went looking for the kink scene a couple times and I kept finding the swingers scene, which, well, wasn't quite right. Um, wasn't quite what I was looking for. And then um fast forward to my late twenties and early thirties and I was I had started doing phone sex and um I I have always been somebody who uh has I guess regular clients, people who come back to me on a regular basis. And uh one of those people sent me a link to a website called FetLife oh. early in two thousand eight. And he said, um, he said, you need to get on this website and do it for real because this is totally in you, and I can see it in you, and um, you should explore this on your own. Um, so it's kind of funny that because of a because of a phone sex customer and client, I um I was turned onto the kink scene and entered the kink scene and discovered that side of myself, and that was about ten years ago. So
1: yeah, you've been doing this quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um. So
2: you you describe yourself as a sadomasochist. So you like to mm-hmm. give and take. Hmm. Um, how did you discover that?
3: Um. Well, you know, I think it somewhat accidentally. I mean, I think as as the way uh, in the way that a lot of people kind of come into this scene and maybe they have an idea of what they want or who they are. You know, I think I would have. I think I sort of thought that I was submissive and I certainly have submissive tendencies in the right situations and with certain partners. Um, but I didn't really know. I didn't, I couldn't, I mean, I guess, I guess I sort of knew there was such a thing as like a masochist or a sadomasochist. They didn't really know what that entailed as far as I, I, Whereas I had like ideas of what being submissive would be. So I came into the scene thinking, Oh, you know, this is what I am. And I pursued, you know, experiences with dominant people. And it just so happens that one of the first people I ran across was a sadist. <laughs> and uh, he opened some doors for me, so to speak. Um, and that was, I. it was not what I was expecting by any means. Um, I didn't think, I didn't think that I was a masochist. I didn't know that I was a masochist. I sort of discovered that in my exploration. And I think a lot of people who are new to kink sort of, you know, jump in and try lots of different things and then, begin to gravitate towards, you know, no masochism or a rope or, you know, whatever the case may be.
1: Ah, uh, the journey of discovery.
3: Right? <laughs> the sub-frenzy. And what
2: drew me to you was I ran across one of your essays on, on, on Fed, and you're quite a prolific writer. And this was Marks Are Not the Only Measure of a Scene. It was a wonderful exploration of what happens to a masochist over time and how they're, they shift away from the physical uh, evidence of their play and look for a deeper connection. Mm-hmm. How did that whole writing come about?
3: Um, well, you know, I I have, like I said, been involved in the king scene for about 10 years now, and, and I... I go through, I think as many of us do phases of more and less involvement in the, the local community, the public scene and, um, and kind of having to have uh, taken a break for like a year or so to deal with some personal stuff going on, coming back into the scene and meeting sort of the new crop of submissives. Um, and not even just submissives, but also dominance and, and, and people on the left side of the slash, um, kind of learning their way and figuring out who they are and what they're doing. And it's so tempting seeing some of the stuff you see online, you know, to compare yourself with, you know, your friends, other people in the community, people you see online as far as like, Oh, well, you know, I had a scene with somebody and I didn't leave marks like that. Or, Oh, I had a scene with somebody and I'm not bruised the way that person is. And I think it's really dangerous for people to, only judge their scene by whatever physical marks it leaves you know i think it encourages some people to play beyond their capacity um at any given moment and it encourages all of us to not pay attention to the things that really matter which to me are connection and intimacy and having an experience with another human being it's you know it's not necessarily about the trophies
1: you're probably in the modern play scene that that's kind of a radical thought because you go to any public dungeon and and people are showing off their bruises,
3: sure, and you know I'm not I show off my bruises when I have them, <laughs> but as I, I think as a lot of masochists will tell you after um a couple of years of playing at certain levels of intensity, lots of bruising lots of welts lots of uh you know abrasion, your skin begins to adjust, your body begins to adjust, and you just don't mark the way you used to and that doesn't mean you're playing any less intensely, you know, and I, and, and bruises are great and I want people to be proud of their bruises. I, I totally understand what they are like, you know, that, that sort of proof of how strong you are and how much you can take. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not, it's not to say that people shouldn't be proud of them, shouldn't post pictures of them. They absolutely should, but just to remind people that if for some reason they don't mark up or if, They can't mark up or they can't play at those levels for any one of a number of different reasons not having anything to do with endurance or ability, but more, you know, context and vanilla life and everything else. But that play and that interaction is just as valid and and it's not any less kinky.
2: You describe yourself in the writing as a leather ass.
3: (laughs) A leather ass, yes. How long
2: did it take you to make the adjustment to realize that your plays were just as intense, just as good, and you weren't mm-hmm. having the mark?
3: I think there is a number of years, honestly. For context, I think it also depends on you know, the relationships and the partners you have at any given time. And so some of this coincided with relationships ending and me playing, let's say, in a different way, say, more casually with people I wasn't as comfortable with or didn't have as much of a history with. So all of these things affect it. Right. A lot of times because of those factors and feeling like it wasn't playing to that level and I, I couldn't, you know, I, it couldn't, it didn't get, I didn't mark up as much, so it didn't seem like there was much, as much indicator. I got to a point where it, it didn't feel right anymore. And, and you feel sort of broken almost. you feel like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that place again.
1: It's just like any drug. It always takes more of it to get the same high.
3: Sure, sure. And and if you, you know, and if it's the kind of thing for me where I'm always going to be able to take more pain, more intensity from someone I'm deeply connected with. So, you know, the chance of me being able to get to that level with anybody that I don't have an established relationship with is pretty small. So that limits even the potential for, you know, any of that happening, which doesn't mean I can't enjoy a scene with somebody that I don't know that well, or that I'm new to, you know, I certainly can. It's just adjusting your expectations.
2: Well, isn't part of it the uh, a difference in the journey? One is a journey of surprises and discoveries with the new person.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: with the uh, person you're more connected with, it's a journey of enrichment and of the subtleties involved in the play.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also I think depending, not just with somebody new, but depending on how new you are to kink, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not having as many new experiences to me as somebody who maybe is just starting out and just kind of, oh, this is what a flogging feels like. This is what whips feel like or canes feel like that level of exploration. I'm not. That, you know, there's not much left for me to explore on those avenues. And really, it really is now about my connection with people and having, a, you know, building a nice rapport with somebody or having a really good chemistry.
1: And there's a lot more to that when you build chemistry, when you build a relationship, because it's deep and you can keep going down different levels when people are in different moods. There's all kinds of different things.
3: I certainly have gotten to a place and I I would say this has happened on two occasions um, or rather with two partners in my 10 years of kink where as a bottom, I got to a place where I feel like I can't, it's not, I I feel like I need to stop a scene, not because I can't take any more, but because I want to take so much more that it's terrifying.
1: Mm, that's interesting.
3: So, so there are those moments and, and that's only with, you know, somebody that you trust so much that you realize, and I've never actually stopped a scene because I couldn't really take any more. I've perhaps pleaded with my partner and they've assessed and looked at me and decided I couldn't take any more, but I've never actually stopped a scene in that regard. But again, I'm fairly selective and picky with who I play with given the levels at which I like to play.
2: Wow. I've got to make a trip out your way just to see you play. <laughs> that to be interesting. Yes, indeed. Play is not the only thing in your world. You do a lot of things, including teach couples how to talk dirty. Mm-hmm. Do you find that is a skill that people struggle with?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think it's a skill people struggle with because it's. I think it's something that it's appealing mm-hmm. and that people want to be able to do. And really what all of my teaching in regards to talking dirty and, um, and role play, I, I use various different methods, but it all kind of boils down to teaching people that they actually really do know how to do it. They just don't think they do and they don't know that they do. So it's sort of, um, a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit like, uh, um, Karate Kid wax on, wax off. I'm teaching you these skills and you're not quite sure how they apply. The talking dirty and the role play, and then I kind of lay it out for you at the end. Um, (laughs) people tend to be in a resistance to it just a little bit, and then they, you know, then they have that epiphany moment, and suddenly I'm the guru.
2: (laughs) Do men have more problem talking dirty to their female partners, or females talking dirty to their
1: males?
3: Hmm, huh. I wouldn't say it's more difficult for either gender. I would say each gender faces different challenges in talking dirty to their partner. Um, I think women are conditioned to be afraid to express their sexual desire, and so they fear being rejected, being demonized, being thought of as less than, like a slut or a whore, if they express their sexual desire. And I think men are conditioned to, some men are very entitled to things. But in general, (laughs) um, men understand that with their female sexual partners, if they say the wrong thing that offends or touches a nerve, they're going to be in trouble. They're not going to be getting any for a while, right? So they have to be careful. They have to walk on (laughs) eggshells.
1: There are trigger points in everybody, and sometimes you just stumble onto them.
3: Oh God, I don't know. There's so, such sweeping generalizations, but um I think women are actually a little better at taking a risk to get what they want vocally, sexually, um, because men are a little more concerned about looking stupid or being laughed at. It's, you know, it's like an affront to their masculinity.
1: We're terribly insecure little souls. Oh well, yeah,
3: Right. But I mean, in general, we're all afraid. Of phone sex. So like what my professional life boils down to and it, and it dovetails nicely with like, um, you know, just random talking dirty or intimacy on a a vocal level for people is, you know, we're being vulnerable. You're letting somebody see you at uh, what you perceive to be sort of your, maybe your, your least appealing or your most vulnerable or your least confident. You're taking these risks and, you know, you're putting yourself out there and it's super scary. But at the same time, there's that rush because when, It's successful when you're seen and when you're accepted for who you are. I think that's the ultimate validation, right? It's what we're all kind of looking for as human beings.
2: I agree with you greatly. You know, we hear about the Louis C.K.'s and the Matt Lowers and the Harvey Weinsteins in the world. Mm -hmm. But I think most men are generally very cautious and afraid to be verbally aggressive with a woman sexually mm-hmm. that uh, it just feels wrong to them uh, whether it be fear of retributions or just that it doesn't feel right for them
3: mm-hmm.
2: so you teach these couples and they have better sex afterwards you think
3: well i, I i'd like to think so <laughs> i hate it if they had worse sex afterwards that would be terrible (laughs) are these one-time events
1: or are they multiple visits
3: uh, generally you know it's it doesn't take more than once or twice because once they get the lesson which is really it's about willing being willing to make yourself vulnerable and it's about being willing to take a risk and it's also about picking the right kind of partner, somebody who will value you for taking a risk, whether or not you're successful or not, you know? And I think that once people get that lesson, it's a lesson of of self-esteem and self-awareness and discovery and confidence. And generally, I think once you get it, you sort of get it. I do have people come back, but I think for the most part, they just need that little push.
2: (laughs) You've got many arms in the bar. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us about how these last two interrelate, playwright and actress.
3: Uh, Yeah. So actually, that's how I actually came to phone sex, which, of course, as I've mentioned before, is sort of how I came to kink. I was I was I found myself in acting school and was looking for a job. And that's how um, one of my classmates had applied for a phone sex job. And I asked her about it and she passed it on to me and I started working and doing phone sex. Um, but also on the other side of things, I was going to acting school and graduated from a two year conservatory program and um, just started doing some stage and theater acting. That's really where my passion is. And, uh, and ended up being cast in a, a sex positive erotic show that toured some, uh, some fringe theater festivals in Canada. And that, um, being exposed to that sort of boot camp intensity level theater um, <laughs> inspired me to write a couple of my own shows, which I have I have two shows, and I've written them. I wrote both of them, toured them, performed them. We'll probably be performing them uh, in the spring and summer here in Portland, so at least one of them. What are these shows about? My first show uh, is called Threads, and it's about how my American mother uh, met my Vietnamese father, who was a student studying here in the 60s. And my mom ended up going to Vietnam during the war to teach English. Um, And I mean, as you can imagine, probably not a lot of 20-something-year-old American women getting on planes to Saigon in 1968, but she did.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably not yeah
3: you've
2: definitely come from a very interesting background oh yeah <laughs> bravery runs in the family
3: yeah kind of <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a it's a show kind of about how the random people and events in our lives nudge us just along our path and sometimes you get to a place and you ask yourself how do i get here and you realized it was you realize it's it's all the. This is a million different things that happened to you along the way that caused you to be where you are now.
2: As we um, get ready to pull this together here, Tanya,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so let's circle back your first phone sex call.
3: Uh
2: huh. <laughs> <laughs> how how did that go?
3: Well, you know, I didn't have any idea what to expect, um, and I was working for a service at the time that sort of assigned me a character. So um, I was playing a like a nineteen-year-old innocent, blonde girl, uh, and her name was Amber, and Amber was really, really happy to talk to all the horny guys. Oh, Um, my.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, so uh, I answered the call, and the guy told me he wanted a blowjob, and I started to describe just like, I think I got as far as maybe unzipping his pants, and I just heard a really loud grunt. And, uh, and then he hung up and didn't even say goodbye. And uh, I, my feelings weren't hurt, though. <laughs> but I remember hanging up and thinking, oh, yeah, I can totally do this. <laughs> <laughs> I got this down. This is going to be no problem.
2: <laughs> oh, my, my second wife was a phone sex operator for a period of time. And the work can be fun, it also can be uh a job.
3: Oh, some it's days. definitely a job. I mean, yeah, and it's a lot of emotional labor too, because sometimes people aren't necessarily looking for sex, they're looking for human companionship.
2: and that was some of her clients. They just need uh affirmation that they were good people and yeah and worthy she some days, if she did eight or ten hours of calls, she was drained. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tanya, it's been an incredible honor and pleasure
1: talking to you.
3: Oh, thank you guys so much for having me on.
1: Well, we always like to hear stories like this, and, you know, we're delving into all kinds of different kinks. You know, we've talked to sex workers before, but I don't think we've ever had a phone sex worker.
2: (laughs) No, we've had escorts and Call girls and strippers and, 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 but never phone sex. Well. Yeah. Well, there
1: you go. Yeah. So.
3: Well, I'm glad I could pop your guys' cherry. Is, is there, <laughs> there you go. Uh, let,
1: let me ask you this. Um, you, you said that when you started, you had this persona of this 19-year-old, Amber. Mm-hmm. Did that evolve into more personalities or – Did you just kind of go back to yourself?
3: Um, So I played a number of different characters. Uh, At some point, though, I realized that uh, I wasn't able to use, like, I wanted to be able to use my professionalism um, as an actor and as a writer to promote my phone sex and and my professionalism and, and my skills and abilities as a phone sex operator to promote my acting and my writing. And and the only way to really do that was to come out and sort of be myself as opposed to a character. And another level of that is a little bit of activism in that there's still, I mean, phone sex is probably one of the most benign and least legally at risk, you know, sex work available. But at the same time, there's still a stigma, and because I happen to be have in an enviable position and. Uh, my family is accepting and I don't have children to worry about being taken away from me and I don't have a straight job that I have to worry about losing, you know, I, I can be a little bit of a, a living example to the contrary of some of the assumptions and the misconceptions about sex workers and trying to dispel some of the stigma just by being out.
2: So in other words, you're not a self Self destructive. Uh drunken uh drug addict stereotype. <laughs> stereotype, right.
3: Right. I'm not yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, I think some of the stereotypes that are used are, you know, obviously they're very damaging and very problematic and, and I don't wanna and I also don't want to marginalize people who come from situations where, you know, maybe they had to self medicate to survive. Um but uh but yeah, I I, I certainly think that I'm At least I feel like I'm a reasonably articulate person to engage with anybody who has questions about sex work, you know. And so I put myself out there.
1: And we appreciate it. And you did tonight, and we do appreciate that. So with that, we will probably see you sometime in the future. Wonderful. Links uh, to your writings and other things will be on our show page. So perfect. uh, We invite our listeners to go and learn more about Tanya.
3: Thanks a lot, you guys.
0: You have been listening to episode 220 of The Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Autumn Orange on Kinks and Geeks.